Hello, I'm Rebecca, the founder of Trio, and welcome to Pep Talks with Trio. Trio is the leading solution for workplaces to support their people during every life transition, from starting a family to retiring, and every life event in between. On Pep Talks with Trio, we chat to our expert partners for advice on how to best navigate these common, complex, and often messy life stages that happen during our working career. Keep listening as we connect the dots between life and work with the simple aim of education and empowerment. After all, life happens at work. Today on Pep Talks with Trio, we're speaking with Lawrence Mitchell, CEO of Wellbeing at Work Asia Pacific and founder of Finding Equilibrium. We'll be discussing wellbeing at work and the latest trends. Hello, Lawrence. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? Lovely to see you. Very good. Thank you for coming on. Um, Please, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you're doing at Wellbeing Work and Equilibrium? Sure. So I guess, so I'm Lawrence Mitchell. I am, I head up Wellbeing at Work. And what does that mean? So what Wellbeing at Work is, um, as you, as you'd expect, we focus on um, supporting companies to create and make wellbeing a strategic priority. And so we do that through a number of mechanisms. We run summits around the world. So I think we do them in about 10 different summits. I personally focus on Australia and, and, and the Asia Pacific um, region. And we have a membership program to help heads of HR, heads of people and culture to be able to um, make decisions on a day-to-day basis that really support or, or find the balance between uh, the well-being of their, of their people and the well-being of the company. Um, but ultimately, it all comes back to helping organizations create um, cultures and environments that, um, that support well-being. Which is a hugely important topic at the moment. Um, so how did you get into this work? So I think it really started, so my background, um, so you can hear from my accent, like yourself, I'm, I, I wasn't born in Australia. I've been in Australia for about six years now. Prior to that, I spent most of my life in London and I worked for a big corporate, a big publishing company. Um, and my role was marketing. So I was chief marketing officer for about nine years, actually. So it was quite a, a long period. And I think when I got promoted, um, one thing that really struck me was that I noticed that everybody around the board table, once they became, once they became more senior, they looked visibly iller um, and older. And I thought, golly, it felt to me that you had to make a choice between um, your health or your career. And then once these people retired, then suddenly they were kind of on a health kick and it felt it felt completely wrong. So it really started from a personal survival point of, you know, point of view. I felt, how can I have it all? How can I get the balance between having a career and all the benefits that brings, but also ensure that my physical, my mental well-being are supported so i became i guess uh, a researcher i researching by doing i was leading all these uh, people i was working in a company that was transforming because publishing was completely um transformed through uh, through digital and um, i became very interested in nutrition i became very interested in exercise and um, and then i trained to be a health coach and um, to really deepen my knowledge I qualified as a health coach in 2014, and that was a point where the world's almost joined together because I was chief marketing officer for a big company. I had trained as a health coach, but at that time, the two lives were very separate. And then there was this moment uh, in time when we were sitting around the board table and the head of people and culture presented the people strategy. This was about seven, eight years ago. But that people strategy 
was very process orientated. It was very cold. It spoke about recruitment. It spoke about retention, what you would expect a board to look at, but there was no humanity in it. There was no heart in it. And it didn't talk about health at all. So I was sitting there and I realized that I was in a position of influence working for a company with thousands of employees and the knowledge and experience that I had. So I started a journey and um, connected with the, um, the occupational health um, team. And long story short, that then turned into a corporate well-being program. And that really brought me into well-being at work. And it just took off. Um, and it was very much experimentation. I would run events. We did mindfulness. We did all these things that were very separate. But then it all came together and we developed strategy. It was called the um, Living Well program. And after two years, it run. Uh, it won. It actually won the best corporate well-being program. So it, I suppose... I got into this without really getting into it, without deciding I wanted to work in well-being at work. This is what I want to do. I got into it from a personal passion, a personal interest in supporting my own health. And then through a process of study and experience, I just joined the dots. And that's pretty much how it worked. And then I moved to Australia and uh, I started working on well-being at work as part of um, uh, as part of the work I was doing. I ran a, an event, a well-being at work event in 2018. And I've been doing that ever since. And I guess what's happened over the last couple of years is that well-being at work has suddenly become this big thing. You know, eight years ago when I kind of pitched it to the board, I think this is what we should do. And I've done so much research. And I was so passionate. And the response I got was, oh, is this the most important thing we should do? And it's like, I was shocked. It's like, how can you even think that? Have you not looked at the statistics and all of these things? Of course, I hadn't. The awareness was low at that time. Well-being at work was still seen as a tactical thing. You know, let's give people gym passes. Let's put on the odd bowl of fruit and maybe a yoga class. We've done it. Now it's completely different, you know, thanks to the pandemic. And it is a shame that we've had to have a you know, global pandemic to really understand what well-being at work means. Because those two words, you know, our business is called well-being at work world. That well-being and work both mean very different things to what they meant just a couple of years ago. Well-being is now much more holistic. Eight years ago, it was still very physical, you know, health and safety. And we were moving into that focus on mental health. And there's a greater awareness around that now. But now it's becoming much more holistic, recognizing that mental health and physical health are completely aligned. You know, this is no longer woo-woo. There's a lot of science that really kind of supports, you know, our, our thoughts do impact our body. If we're super stressed uh, because we, for whatever reason, then that will show up as in some, you know, physical problem in our, in, in our body. So that's where we are now. The science and the um, ancient wisdom are really catching up and, um, and, and are, are joining to, to, together. And well-being at work is realizing or recognizing that well-being is everything that impacts a person yeah. and work is a mindset rather than the physical place that we go. Yeah. And the work part is still so such an important part of everyone's day to day life. But if you're not well, then <laughs> it affects work anyway. So true, so true. So from nine years ago to now, what obviously massive shift in what organisations are doing. What does that, you know, if we take the fruit bowls off the table and the, the gym pass, what are organisations doing? You know, what are you seeing? What are the best organisations that are pitting well-being of their people at the forefront? Because it isn't, it's, you know, it's, it's important for the people in the business, but it's also important when employees are looking at 
what employers they're going to join and we're in a talent short market things like this come on the table you know well what are you doing outside of my salary or the work environment what else do you do for me it's almost part of this holistic benefits package that employees are looking beyond dollars in when, when they're deciding to join organizations so what are the best what you see in the best organizations do sure and it, it's a, it is an exciting time like it, it really is an exciting time because you know, you've been banging this drum. Uh, I've been banging this drum for a while. And now people are very open and listening. So the leading organization, and I'm talking about the biggest organizations, because remember, we run the Web Network Summit in tenders. We run it in the UK, in Europe, in America, in South Africa, in the Middle East, in Australia, in um, in um, in Singapore. So we have a, a perspective and it's different based on the different uh, on the yeah. different countries. But I would say now, going back to what we were saying, that there is a much greater recognition that True well-being is the result of many things, not just one thing. And so leadership is a big thing. So um, I was talking to a head of people and culture uh, for one of the biggest companies in the world the other day. And his uh, message to me was the old way of leading no longer works. We need a different way of leading, different leadership training, different. So leadership management, we know, is really important. So senior leadership important. We also know that. The managers are the mechanism, so they need to be brought in. They need to be supported. So that's a big, big focus of um, of resources. Which is There's right, because also- culture change stems from the top, stems Absolutely. from the leadership <laughs> team. So that's Can- amazing. Completely. I think there's also a greater understanding now, thanks to the pandemic, that our employees are whole people. They're not just um, people who come, who leave their personal lives at the door and then they walk in because work can be any place. So what does that mean? It means, again, that we need to be able to speak to our people, recognise that their personal life will impact their professional life and support them. So if they're going through, and I know this is a big thing for, for you, but if they're going through life transitions, then we need to be sensitive to that because that will really make a difference to whether we actually retain them. And so I go back to, because I worked for a company for like, I was CMO for nine years, but I actually worked there for six years prior to that. So I was in the same company for 15 years, big company, lots of different parts, but I could see the impact that those kind of choices made. You know, there was one point I had, um, you know, I had 10 people on maternity leave and by supporting them through that transition, they all came back. So if you look at it holistically, so there's more of a there's more of a balance between measuring the long term impact versus a short term decision. I think there's always a challenge when you work for a public company, when you have quarterly results, is that you can make decisions that that impact the short term but have a much greater cost on the um, on the long term Mm -hmm. so i say number two just going back to our trends is looking at the looking at the whole uh, the whole person i think the third thing is is really trying to understand what hybrid working and living really means because it impacts everything you know i think we've moved from how many days should we work at home versus how many days in the office to asking the questions, what does it actually mean to physically connect? Like if someone's actually going to go into a building, what does it mean? And we know that connection and community are really important um, as a foundation of, of, um, of well-being. Um, so that's a, a big focus. But then what do we do about it? What do we as organisations do? If we know connection is important and we also know that flexibility is important, how do we manage? How do we communicate? How do we support collaboration in this hybrid world? And different organisations have different ways of actually doing that. Some are creating policies and, and almost forcing people and that tends not to get the greatest re- reaction. Whereas the others are really 
creating their environment, making their spaces attractive um, so that people go in and they want to be there. You know, we all yeah. don't want to feel that we're missing out and working at home on our own when the, the fun and the party is happening over there. So there's a much greater um, emphasis on creating more engaging spaces, more engaging environments, but also allowing people to make the choice. I, I, when I say that, I'm thinking very much of the um, the white collar worker. And um, one thing we have um, we have our summit coming up, but there's a big focus on um, how do you support frontline workers because. Frontline workers, I'm talking about retailers, healthcare workers, you know, taxi drivers, you know, people who do not have the choice of working at home. You know, you can't be a postman and work at home, you know, so or a nurse, you know. So, but how do we support them? Because there hasn't been um the greatest recognition. There still is this this um this um belief that this is a job and you just have to have to have to do it so that's a big focus in terms of um, how do we support the well-being of our frontline workers and then the last point i'll highlight is now there is a and i was talking to you um you know i don't want to just sort of say names but i was talking to someone yesterday who's a ceo of a very large company like of the one of the largest companies and it was interesting we had a very interesting conversation about a recognition now that you can't talk about well-being at work without talking about work, because often the driver of um, of uh, of ill-being is the work itself. You know, if you're doing a job and you're working at a company and there's like wonderful benefits, wonderful features, but you're doing for people's job, that is going to impact your well-being. So there's a much greater um, desire now to focus on job design and say, is the is the job designed? appropriately for this person to be able to do it uh, in a way which supports their well-being and there's a balance you know sometimes it gets uh, it gets intense but they spoke a lot about ensuring there's recovery as, as well as um, as well as um, intense time you know when you work in events as I do there are periods which are very very intense yeah but if I did, did that all the time and I had no recovery then I would burn out and that's what we're seeing a lot of people are burning out because they haven't got the recovery the mindset that you have as an athlete is you know i train hard i deliver but then i go dark i rest for a period of time i go to the woods and do those things and it's that kind of mindset mm. which is an education so rather than like i just got to keep doing going 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 and then i burn out and we see this a lot and then people are out in the workspace for like months and that's not what anyone wants because that's a huge cost but going at a pace and ensuring that there's good recovery time and as we know some people recover quicker than others so it's understanding yourself understanding you know how you know what you need to be able to get back into equilibrium you know I always talk about finding equilibrium because that's how I see uh, that's how I see well-being. It is about finding the right balance. It isn't about black and white, this or that, right or wrong. It's about what is the right balance. You know, not doing enough work or not having enough work is stressful for people because they 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 worry. But having so much work that you can't think and you don't know is very stressful. And also having the having a job to do that you're not trained or you're not skilled in doing is highly stressful for many people as well. This is so interesting, Lawrence, and there's a, a few things there that I want to pick up on. You know, the, the, fa the fact that we are a whole person, I think historically, you know, organisations say we want you to bring your whole self to work, um, but then they're not 
prepared or set up to support the whole person you know and a fruit bowl isn't isn't you know isn't creating balance um and the other thing is is around that connection you know the the new way of working uh, for many people you know we are losing that social connection and that is so intrinsic to humans to connect um, and to have that social interaction. And for some individuals, work is one of their main sources of social connection. Um, So we're seeing that impact on mental health that being remote, you know, is creating. So, and, and I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up was how are organizations looking at ROI on their investment in well-being um, because often it is a bottom line that organizations really look at when they say you know are we going to take this forward um are organizations actually looking at monitoring that or is it become such a necessity um that it's it's just something that has to be done we're going to do our best at getting it right across a whole spectrum of um well-being tools and I'd love to look at what are those trends you know what does that look like um now moving forward um so yeah those are sort of a couple of things I'd love to dive Mm. into sure so kind of picking up on on on, there's a few pieces there but picking up on the one around the numbers so I think monitoring and measuring is really really important for sustainable um uh, sustainable resources and sustainable investments so certainly when I was running the well-being program I was very aware that even though a lot of it will be driven by passion and interest to be able to scale and grow you need numbers and because you've got to get the balance right between the business and the investment so in the crisis time as we've been through and I'm sure you know we'll we'll experience other things like this you know hopefully not um but um I'm sure I'm sure we will. In the crisis time, there was a lot of money just spent on mental health and the and the people who are responsible will get in approval without doing business. You know, it's just like we're in a crisis survival. We've just got to kind of do this. But that always stops if we don't see the, the, the um, if we don't see the, um, the, the dashboard. What's interesting is that companies are now measuring different things to what they were measuring before. So traditionally, companies would measure retention, they'd, they'd measure um, engagement, they'd, they'd measure um, numbers about um, the, the the usage of an EIP service or something like that to try and kind of bring them together. But now they're measuring more of the, the, um, the lead indicators, if you like. So they're measuring uh, because there's more sophisticated um, technology to measure how people are actually feeling, for example. And um, because if people are feeling um, low mood on a constant basis, because it's not just like one data point, like I'm feeling down today because it's pouring me rain and, you know, that it's what are the trends you know this is what we want to see you know as a business because we know our emotional um, uh, the emotional uh, well-being of our people how people are feeling because that's what really drives productivity it's the it's how people are feeling not what they necessarily not what you actually see and in the digital world or the hybrid world you can't necessarily pick that up by seeing people some people hide it anyway physically and um, but having tools where people feel safe you know you hear this word a lot like creating safe spaces and safe environments um, but if people do feel safe to share, then they'll share uh, with the view that they believe it will create a better environment. If they don't feel safe, if they feel you know, threatened or they don't trust the uh, organization or the leadership, they won't share. 
you know, they'll look for another job until they can feel safe, you know, and you see that a lot in terms of um, in terms of where people are. But the companies are really, really care. And of course, there's a big incentive now because there's a, a shortage of labor. There's a, you know, great resignation and, you know, things. There's a lot of financial and economic pressure, which is really impacting, uh, impacting people's well-being. So organizations have a responsibility to support their, um, their employees with, um, you know, with knowledge and with access to services. Is, and that's what they're doing increasingly. No one's got all of the answers. I would say that we're going through this period of uncharted territory, really. So no one's no one's figured it all out. But people know that we have to support the whole people. And the more we can do that, the more they'll feel connected to our community, our organisation. The more they'll stay and they'll stick around. And it's during periods of challenge. And I can say this from my own experience working because I became CMO in 2008, like one month before. So it was like the worst period ever. Um, But the decisions we made during that period really set the business up for success for the period afterwards. And because if you treat people really well during, and it doesn't mean you've got to manage the financial well-being of the business, but how you communicate, how you engage makes such a difference to engagement, to to the the culture to all of that to all of those things so um you know i don't know if that answers your question but they're measuring different things and they're focusing on doing what they can do to support people big things but also the small things that make the, the big difference which is around communication recognition reward you know small reward it doesn't have to be the big things you know because ultimately the one thing thing that i've learned is that True well-being comes when people really believe that the organization cares about them personally. You know, and if that is the case, then people will go the they'll go, they'll do the hard yards, you know, they'll work and they'll, they'll do the work. If they feel that no one really cares, don't you know, we don't do it. We're like, who cares? Like, what's the point? Yeah. No one's even gonna notice. You feel uh, like a number, you'll behave like a number. <laughs> exactly. You know, we, we have to focus on the human. Um, I love all of this because it's it is it's so important. You know, the the culture stems from the leadership team and it filters down Mm. Um, and that we talk about safety all the time, creating open, transparent, safe spaces where people can bring them their whole selves to work, that managers are supported in being able to um, engage people when they are going through periods of difficulty burnout you know and it's challenging isn't it because organizations are dealing with the market as it is whether it's economic or whether it's talent based and that does have an impact on on the workplace so you know organizations have their own challenges in terms of managing the workplace but when they can create that safe space that people can show up and are able to ask for support and all of the support mechanisms are in place then you're going to be creating having such a huge impact on the overall well-being then that will minimize some of those other issues that you're talking about around attrition or extended leave periods whether that's due to burnout or mental health if we can be proactive and look at the early intervention by having these programs in place and available and easily accessible then we the ROI actually comes naturally from having them in the first place is the way I see it. 
Yes, no, completely. I completely agree. The, you've got to have the um, you've got to have the um, services, the tools, the solutions in place. Then it becomes a job of promoting those um, and to get people to um, to engage. And I think from a leadership point of view. One of the big things, and you said it, is about being more human as a leader, particularly in, in the corporate space, sometimes because um, our words can impact the share price and those types of things. So people are naturally um, careful what they actually say. But I'm seeing an increasing trend on leaders really demonstrating more, you know, more humanity, more vulnerability, you know, doing things like taking maternity leave as a CEO, for example. I heard the CEO of Google um, speak the other day in Australia and she took a whole year off on maternity leave. So, you know, but that set the tone, set the example, and it also created opportunities for others to step up and others others to grow and others to develop. I think one thing that is really important because sometimes I feel this when we hear case studies, it feels like we've got to be perfect and it feels so much like creating safe spaces, being aware of the whole, you know, so much plus we want to be uh, the best you know we're running a business you know and as we both know that that's not so easy but the well-being almost fuels the business that's how i see it it's like a foundational thing like if our whole life is a business we can take the time to set ourselves up for success every single day and then we're in equilibrium then it makes it much easier to be able to respond to emails respond to you know challenging conversations because that's life you know there's always going to be disappointments and we will do things that may not be the best choice at the time and and afterwards we may think well maybe that wasn't the best way to have dealt with it but it's just about taking result I say just about because it sounds it but I think it is about taking responsibility and apologizing when you need to and because that then makes a huge difference um, for organizations where there is more of an injection of humanity and more of a recognition that humans are not perfect, which means that we don't need to be perfect and we start to celebrate our weaknesses, the fact that we sell, you know, the fact that we forget things and, you know, have human errors. It perfectly is perfect. <laughs> exactly. You know, it makes it a much more interesting environment to be part of and um, as opposed to expecting everything to be perfect and it never it's never going to be so we're going to always be disappointed but when we recognize and we encourage our people to recognize and take responsibility for when things go wrong then you create the most positive safe environment because that's what it looks like it looks like a place where we can own up to mistakes rather than hiding mistakes and hoping no one actually notices because of fear. And that's a cultural thing. And as a leader and anyone listening to this, that's the question. It's like, how safe do I personally feel to admit to errors? Like, would I do that or would I never do that because of fear? you know, of losing my job or whatever, you know. And that's often a way to really gauge how psychologically safe you are currently feeling uh, in your environment. And having worked in a very large company for a long time and now had a period where I've been out of that kind of environment, of course, I've had the opportunity to really reflect. And now I'm looking at lots of different companies, but from the outside in. And it's interesting. You can really see the differences in cultures. And I can tell almost instantly where the safe the psychology safe cultures are yeah. and where they're not, where the words and the um, and the um, actions may not be aligned. 
That's so interesting. And it's, it really comes down to leaders walking the talk, doesn't it? You know, it's no point putting any of these policies or benefits in place if people don't feel safe enough to actually utilize them. Completely. Com- completely. It's, yeah. It's working. And it's a lot of just kind of building, just building on what we've been talking about. But one of the trends that we saw at the start of the pandemic was putting in technology because it's easier to put technology and then change everyone's behavior. But of course, now, the technology is just technology if no one's using it you're not going to get the benefit and so now there is that recognition and i feel the leading companies are now ready to do that work like ready to go deep and look at the parts of the of their culture of themselves that they may not want to look at because it opens cans of worms but those cans are being opened all the time and to create those kind of help because there's a lot of things that are not right and yeah. a lot of things are not right and one of the other big trends and kind of last point i'll say on this is belonging and inclusion you know which many will argue is the foundation of well-being like if you're in a, yeah. a culture where you feel included <laughs> then that's true well-being whereas if you're in a culture and you feel i can't actually say what i really think or believe or mm-hmm. any of those things then that's not well-being. You might have access to all kinds of things, but if you don't feel included and you feel um, inauthentic and you don't feel you belong, then you're not going to stick around for very long. And is it an organisation missing out on that on that person by not feeling that they're actually able to show up and speak up? You know, you're not maximising the value of that individual anyway. So the more that organisations create those psychologically safe environments that are inclusive, that do encourage a sense of belonging, irrespective of what's going on, then you are you have this such a productive, progressive environment. But yeah, it stems from the top, the policies, the benefits, everything has to be in place and people have to feel safe and able to utilise them for any of that ROI to be realised. Completely, completely. Which stems, as you say, from behaviour change. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Oh, completely. Well, you're really trying, I mean, the way I've always seen it is um, you're trying to unlock the creative energy within your people. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you look at a a team of people, so at one point I was running a department with 200 people, and I would look at those people and I would think, wow, like I was always interested in what they did like in their personal lives because when you can align someone's personal interest with the job they're doing then of course magic happens i mean it really it really does and so that was a big big part of the career you know it's like what 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 do you want to learn where do you want to grow you know we used to have and i was lucky that i worked for a company that was very progressive in this kind of area but we would have personal growth meetings you know where we would literally talk to someone about their aims, their ambitions, what they would like. And then our job as managers, as leaders, was to facilitate those um, those plans. This has been an amazing conversation, Lawrence, and I could talk to you forever. And I definitely want to get you back on to talk to you, to you about Equilibrium and the work you do there, because that is fascinating, because it does go beyond the typical just health and fitness um, mm. parameters that we look at. Um, but I think fundamentally, um, well, people perform well. And as an organization, we, you know, that's almost the basic, most basic metric that we could look at. 
completely the reason what, to invest <laughs> in this space. It, it really is. And I guess finding equilibrium and just kind of bringing that into it, because it is a way of simplifying the holistic, because we often hear it's another word that we hear, holistic, but what does that actually mean? Because it can feel too big. And so for me, it was a way of simplifying it and making it accessible, but also being able to measure whether you're in equilibrium at at, at a personal level, because that's the greatest metric. Because if you really want to, you know, if if you believe, as I do, that we all have the potential to, um, to be really, you know, to be great and to do amazing things based on who we are, then you need to be able to set yourself up for success. So, Physical well-being, the food you eat, whether you do, whether the choices you make will determine the experience that you have and the way people will um, will um, you know will um, experience uh, experience you. So it goes back to we're not looking for per- for perfection, but it goes back to knowing where you're in equilibrium and where and what's pushing you out of equilibrium, so you can focus your resources at different um, at different um, you know points of um, of time and build on there. So yeah, there's a lot more I can share around um, around how to do it because it is really about making this accessible to people because within the culture we grew up in, um, it's not holistic thinking has not been the way we were brought up um but that thinking has come from the east but sometimes that thinking may not be accessible to us in the west so being able to kind of take the learnings but then apply it in a western culture um, that can lead to equilibrium and i think equilibrium is really what we're seeking at every level you know an organizational level an individual level a team level but also at a societal level you know a country level. you know we can see many things are out of equilibrium and there are all kinds of reasons but we can't go back but we can go forward and the choices we make now will determine and how we'll how we'll um, evolve you know individually and collectively so i see it as an exciting time you know but that's my choice you know i could choose to see it as a kind of you know, it is an time. Exciting time. <laughs> so could, just before we close off and you've got your well-being at work event coming up i know because we are sponsors we you know we do truly believe that employee well-being should be at the forefront of every organization's mind can you just let us know when when is that on can people still get tickets um uh, yeah when should we look yeah when is it when is it okay so i'm not sure when this will go out but the um the world network australia and new zealand summit is the 8th 9th and 10th of november so trio is, is one of our sponsors so thank you so much for uh, for for um for supporting us so day one is in sydney day two is online and day three is in melbourne you can you can get tickets on our website which is wellbeing at work Dot world so well-being at spelt 80 um, at work.world and um, you'll see all of our summits listed there and you can just scroll down and um, and um, and join any that uh, uh, that are relevant to you we also have our well-being at work hub um, which uh, uh, which is our membership program so you can sign up for that uh, that includes lots of resources but uh, but includes all of the content from all of our summits around the world so it's a, a fantastic resource and then we also run what we call bespoke. So these are bespoke events, mini events, and we and consultancy work where we go deeper into organizations to really apply the best practice in their work. Because the conferences will kind of share best practice, but as we know, 
knowledge and action are two very different things. So we will then go deep and we'll say, okay, well, this is what we know is the best practice. Let's understand where your starting point is. Let's understand where you'd like to, to head. Mm. And how can we bridge the gap? You know, what are the um, what are the systems? What are the pro practices? What are the um, what are the um, initiatives and programs that um, that could really help to um, bridge the gap to the future? Um, so that's really um, that's perfect. You know, what, what, what we do, but uh, but we'll, thank you. We'll Rebecca. make sure all of the links are in the um, the. The, the, the links will go in the po- below the podcast so people can find you it will go out before um the event so um hopefully we'll be able to see meet some people there but thank you so much for your insights it's as always lovely talking to you yeah great to speak to you rebecca and thank you for all the wonderful work that you do thank you for listening to find out more about how trio can support your people visit trio.com